Full Scope, Human Longevity and Performance Podcast. We want you to become the most exceptional, high-performing version of yourself. And to facilitate this, we are giving away the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook absolutely free. This is a tremendous resource that will tell you the lifestyle behaviors and mindset that will lead to the best outcomes and longevity. To get this, go to our website, wondermedicine.com or fullscope.org, put in your email, and we will send you this amazing resource, the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook. Human beings and all other multicellular organisms on the planet Earth roll deep. In fact, all of us carry around trillions of little friends with us wherever we go. These little friends are called the human microbiome, and they consist of bacteria, archaea, protozoa, fungi, and viruses. These microorganisms cover every surface of our body. They cover our entire gut from mouth to anus. They cover cover other cavities like the urogenitary tract and the female reproductive tract. And most importantly, these little guys are essential to our health. But we're destroying them. In the last few hundred years, it's estimated that over half of the microorganism species that formerly lived on our bodies are now extinct. Today, on Full Scope, we're going to talk about genetic diversity. We're going to talk about our microbiome. We're going to talk about the genes that make up our microbiome. We're going to talk about how our microbiome is essential to health. We're going to talk about why our microbiome is being destroyed. And we may even touch on what we need to do to fix it. So saddle up, everybody. This is going to be a good one. Low microbiome diversity and bad microbiome or or bugs or dysbiosis that shouldn't be there has been linked to numerous acute and chronic diseases. These include obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, autism, numerous mental health disorders, and even cancer, and in particular colorectal cancer. Since the 1990s, the incidence of colorectal cancer in people younger than age 50 has more than doubled. In fact, all of the diseases I just mentioned have been escalating, particularly in the developed world, at an unprecedented rate over the last 20, 30 in 40 years. In the last 20 years or so, there has been an explosion in research on the human microbiome, and we are just understanding how fundamental a healthy microbiome is to a healthy human. And in fact, without these little little guys, we develop disease, we have problems, and things don't go well. Could the extinction of our microbiome be the fundamental reason why we're seeing an enormous escalation 
of these chronic diseases, I think the chances are fairly good, and I think the chances are extremely good that they are certainly linked and it is a big part of the puzzle. It's thought that humans have about 37 trillion cells in our bodies. That is a huge number. And what's crazy is that for every one of our own cells, there's probably at least one bacterial, fungal, archaea, or protozoan cell, which means there are 37 trillion bacteria and other microorganisms living on our body. And that's at the low end. I have heard estimates of up to 10 of these microorganisms for every one of our cells. But what's even crazier is the genetics that these microorganisms bring. But before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about the human genome, because I think it's always good to review, and it'll help frame our conversation. Remember that the human genome is made of DNA, or deoxyribonucleic acid. DNA is essentially a code. It contains information that tells our bodies how to make proteins and how to regulate the expression of those proteins. This code is almost universal in life, with very, very few exceptions ever discovered. It's made up of four base pairs, adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine. And in humans and most organisms, this DNA bands together to form a double helix structure. In humans, these double helix structures are contained in 23 pairs of 46 chromosomes located in the nucleus of our cells. There's about 3.2 billion base pairs in the human genome. But what's kind of crazy is our knowledge is still expanding and growing in this space, and we have so much still to learn. In fact, in 2018, about 300 million new base pairs were discovered. Another thing that's crazy is our ability to sequence DNA. In 2001, the Human Genome Project was completed. It took 13 years and cost about a billion dollars. It sequenced most of one human genome. Fast forward to today in 2021, we can sequence a whole human genome better than we could back in 2001, of course, more accurately, in less than a day, and oftentimes for less than $500. So we've made a lot of progress, and this space is expanding and very, very interesting. What's crazy, though, is that all humans share 99.9% of the DNA code. We are all very, very similar to each other. Within our genetic sequence, we have discovered about 25,000 genes that code for proteins. So essentially they contain that four-letter code that then gets transcribed into RNA and translated into proteins, which are then used to, to build things, to be enzymes, to do a bunch of different important things in the body. There's also about 25,000 other known regulatory RNA coding sequences that, that uh, code for regulatory RNA and microRNA that kind of regulate the expression of these proteins. As far as the 25,000 genes, that only makes up about 1.5% of the total human genome. And actually the rest of it is long segments of code that 
we don't really understand exactly why they're the way they are or if they're important for anything but there's a lot to learn in that space and just know that of the total human genome only a few percent seems to be important at least to scientists today but the genes in our nucleus are not the whole story of DNA in the human body in fact they're only a small small part before we get into the biggest pool of genes in our body, which, by the way, don't come from humans, we're going to talk a little bit about mitochondrial DNA. So mitochondria are the energy-producing units of the cell. They make the majority of ATP via a biochemical process called oxidative phosphorylation, where we use oxygen molecules to move electrons and then add a phosphate molecule to ATP, which is the energy-carrying molecule of the cell, the energy-carrying currency of the cell. Now, there's more than just ATP, but ATP is the main one. And those phosphate bonds in ATP can be broken, release energy, and they can be used to do meaningful work. Now, mitochondria are so important because when we try to make ATP by just splitting sugar outside of the mitochondria, we get about two ATP. But in the process of oxidative phosphorylation, we get about 30 ATP, so really important. But what's crazy is that mitochondria has its own DNA. And essentially, all of that DNA is inherited from mom. It comes from the egg that was, that was first uh, fertilized by the sperm. Now, it is possible that some mitochondrial DNA comes from the dad in certain circumstances, but for all intents and purposes, you should think about it as mostly all coming from the mom. The mitochondrial DNA is quite a bit smaller than the human genome DNA. It's got about six, it's, it's made up of a circular molecule of DNA that contains about 16,569 DNA base pairs. And each of these has a full set of genes. And there's usually about 1 to 15 of these molecules in each mitochondria. And interestingly, every single one of our cells has approximately, and this is a very approximate uh, estimate, but about 100 mitochondria. And each of these circular plasmids of DNA codes for about 14 different proteins, which are essential components of oxidative phosphorylation in what we call the electron transport chain. And so the genes that are actually ours are the, are the human genome part and the mitochondrial DNA part, at least that we know today. What's up, Full Scope listeners? If you are enjoying this content, if this content is bringing you value, please share it with your friends, loved ones, and everyone else. Post it online, on social media. Let your friends know. Have them subscribe. Put the word out there. That's all we really ask. And at the very least, give us a review and rate the podcast. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. Pew! DNA is crazy in life, and especially high-level organisms. Um, we talked about how a lot of the, the code is, is, is this um, long segments that we don't really know what they do. And because of these long segments that are somewhat preserved in a lot of different life forms, we actually share about 60% similarity 
in our DNA with a banana, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Now, when we look at the actual genes, those are quite a bit different. Those 25,000 genes in the in the human genome that make up about 1.5% of it. But when you look at like a fruit fly, for instance, like getting to an insect, so closer to us than a banana, obviously, a plant, but we share about 60% of our genes with fruit flies. Crazy. As far as close relatives, say our closest relative, chimpanzees, we share about 99% similarity of our DNA with about 96% similarity in the actual coding segments. So we are very, very similar to chimps, actually a little bit to bananas, but remarkably similar to each other. Chimps and humans are believed to have diverged evolutionarily approximately 6 million years ago. The first point I want to make in this podcast is even though 99.9% of human genes are conserved among every single human on the planet, we still have a pretty good diversity of our genes as a species when we compare that to other species. And I want everyone to understand that it is a really good thing for a species to have genetic diversity within their species. And the reasons are simple. Sometimes different genes can be very important. They can, say, keep one group of people alive in a certain situation, whereas in another situation, they might be harmful. In fact, genes are never actually bad or good. They're just well adapted to a given environment. And if you think about it, for instance, a killer whale, like a killer whale is an apex predator in the ocean. But if you take that killer whale out of the ocean, it is essentially a sitting duck. It is defenseless and it will die in a short amount of time. And so its wonderful genes have evolved to be in the ocean and outside of the ocean, those genes aren't very useful. Now, if you think about humans, we have expanded all over the globe. We've got all different races of humanity, and those different races are beautiful. We have dark people, light people, tall people, short people, all types of different phenotypes and characteristics among us. And this is a good thing, because you can imagine, say for instance, a pandemic occurs, and Let's say it's a horrible pandemic, some very dangerous organism that comes out of nowhere. You could find a situation where that organism could wipe out, say, 95% of a species, only leaving behind a 5% that have some protective genetic variation. And so because of that, it's so important to have genetic diversity in your species because it's, it's security. It protects you because you don't know how your environment's gonna change, and when it does, you want a lot of different possibilities of genomes because you hope that a few of them can overcome and survive. I think as humans move into space, we might find applications of this. Some people might be better, better suited for long amounts of time in space based on their genetic makeup. And so my point is, is that we really should be celebrating 
diversity within the human species. It is a beautiful thing that we have all these different people that look different. I've heard academic physicians, always white physicians, say stupid things like, oh, race doesn't exist, it's just a construct, blah, blah, blah. No, race does exist. We need to celebrate it. We need to embrace it, both from a genetic diversity and a cultural standpoint. And so I hope that makes sense, that genetic diversity is important for the safety of a species. I want to highlight another example of a species that doesn't have genetic diversity. Cheetahs, the fastest living uh, land animal, like 70 mile per hour sprints, is actually actually a species with very little genetic diversity. In fact, they're thought to only have 0.1 to 4% of the overall genetic diversity of other living species on Earth. And interestingly, almost all cheetahs can accept an allogenic skin graft from other members of their species. So that means you can take skin from any cheetah and, and, and slap it onto the skin of another cheetah and it will take and, and do fine usually. And that's not, that's not a very good thing. You can imagine that that makes that species very vulnerable, um, that lack of diversity. So I just wanted to highlight that difference and, and uh, I hope cheetahs do okay because they're beautiful animals and I love them and uh, pretty cool. So everybody talks about our genes and how important our genes are, et cetera, et cetera, genetics. And here's what I'm going to tell you. In the absence of a genetic disease, like a, a mutation in a protein that causes big problems, say cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia, the biggest indicator of our health is by far our environment. The importance of our environment for most people is much more important to their health than the actual genes in their body. This is the most important lesson of today. People have to be in a healthy environment in order to be healthy. It's just not possible to have it the other way around. And we're going to spend the rest of this, will probably be a two-part podcast, talking about that environment, the things around us, and in particular, the ecosystem, the ecosystem directly on and around us. There is something called epigenetics, and epigenetics is a field that looks at how we can change our genes without actually changing that four-letter code we talked about. DNA can become methylated. We can slap a CH4 or a CH3 group onto it. We can do other things to it as well that can change the transcription and then translation of proteins or genes into proteins. And that that is a big factor too. And the way we're living our life and the things we're doing, the things we're eating, the things we're thinking, how much we're exercising, how much we're loving other people, do affect our epigenetics. And so even on top of the code, the way we're living our life affects that. But there's an even bigger piece of the puzzle, and that is the human microbiome. 
remember, for every one of the 37 trillion human cells in our body, we have at least one microbial or, or, or very small organism cell on our bodies. And I've even seen estimates of 10 microbiome cell for every one of our human cells. Remember, these are bacteria, archaea, which are both single-celled prokaryotic organisms. These are fungi, usually yeast. These are protists, or single-cell eukaryotes. These are sometimes multicellular organisms, like worms. And then everyone has tons of viruses. There's probably 10, 100, 1,000, 100,000, maybe even a million virus cells for every one of our human cells. And so there is an enormously complex picture. On top of just the amount of cells on our bodies that aren't ours, we've got a ton of genes in our bodies that aren't ours. And these genes can sometimes help us, but they can also sometimes hurt us. In fact, I, I want to restate that. These genes always help us tremendously but sometimes they can hurt us. Assuming there's 10,000 different species of microorganisms living on our body, which I think is probably wishful thinking now, but I think historically there probably was at least that, if not more, that means that if each of those 10,000 species contains a thousand genes each, that's a, that is 10 million additional genes added to our gene arsenal in our bodies. Remember, human genes code for about 25,000 genes. If the microbes that are living on our body, our friends, are coding for an additional 10 million genes, that is 500 times the amount of gene contribution to, to our, our humanness, our metabolism. We are more microorganisms than we are humans. Guys, this is tremendous because our bodies oftentimes utilize these genes to build important things, to break down important things. They're essential to human health. Now, at this point, you may be asking yourself, where is this microbiome located? Where are these microorganisms? Well, they're all over our surfaces. And remember, humans are a big donut, essentially. You can think about our gut as the middle of the donut and our skin as the outside. But microorganisms literally cover the entire outside of our body, our skin, our eyes, all of our, our, our ear canals, our mouth, our mucous membranes, etc. They cover the entire GI tract, the entire gastrointestinal tract from mouth to anus, including mouth, esophagus, stomach, small intestines, colon, and anus. They cover our ure urogenital system, so, the, so our urethras and up into our bladder. They cover the female reproductive tract, the vagina, the uterus, and even up higher into the reproductive tract. They cover the entire surfaces inside our lungs. And it's possible 
that some organisms even live inside of our bodies. We know that, that some pathogenic organisms live inside of our bodies. For instance, herpes simplex virus lives up in our trigeminal uh, ganglion, inside of our nerve cells. And then when we get stressed or, or, or some other trigger happens, it, it travels back to, say, our mouths or sometimes our, our genitals, and it causes um, the classic skin lesions of herpes. But there's probably other organisms living inside our bodies as well. In fact, in like 2018, some researchers were postulating that they may have found some bacteria that just were living in the brain, part of the brain microbiome, which just totally blows, the, blows um, I think, everybody's minds if that turns out to be true. It is possible it could be contaminants but such an interesting thing and something to continue to look into. And we know, of course, that other pathogenic organisms do invade the brain and can live in there for years. Classic examples being syphilis and Lyme disease. Both of these are, are treponemal organisms, spirochetes, that, that eventually invade the central nervous system and cause problems. So I think to highlight this, what's going on is we have trillions of microorganisms living in our bodies most of which are really good friends, most of which that help us, most of which contribute more genetic diversity to our human ecosystem than we do ourselves. And so this is crazy. It deserves more discussion. But what I'm going to leave you with before we, we stop for today and leave the rest for part two is that a lack of genetic diversity in the human microbiome has been linked to numerous different diseases. And unfortunately, we are undergoing a mass extinction of our human microbiome at this time. It is estimated that we have already lost 50% of the species that formerly populated our bodies. And this problem is even getting worse. And guess what the reason is, people? Our environment. The things that we have done to our environment are killing the microorganisms on our body that are essential to our health. I'm going to leave it there for this. I'm going to call this part one. I hope everyone enjoyed that little uh, genetic ride. And we've got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about next time. So I hope you join us again. Be well, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to the Full Scope Podcast and investing in your health. I'm Dr. Bill Randenberg. If you're enjoying the content, please rate, review, and share this content with all of your friends online and all your social media platforms. Please understand that this podcast is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure your specific medical condition. This podcast does not create any type of doctor-patient relationship between myself, Dr. Brandenburg, and you, the listener. If you do need help with your life, with your health, with anything regarding your longevity or performance, please check out wondermedicine.com. Our longevity and performance program is the best in the world and is ready to help you right now, today, become the best possible individual you can be. Thanks. Bye-bye.